Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. Fools, hopefully this is coming to you, if we've scheduled it correctly, after 1pm on this Sunday. Today is, of course, Anzac Day. We're recording this early, uh, but we are publishing this on Anzac Day. Uh, Andrew Page is with me. G'day, Andrew. Uh, we just want to uh, pay our respects to our veterans, to our service personnel, uh, those who gave their lives and those who came back uh, permanently changed by their wartime uh, service. We want to say thank you. We want to pay our respects. We want to remember those who fell and those who came back changed, as I said, um, lest we forget. All right, mate, let's, uh, let's get on with the podcast. Um, it, we finished Friday's podcast uh, by apologising for not doing what we said we were going to do, which we'll try not to make a habit of. And while this is normally supposed to be purely a mailbag podcast, and it is almost by definition because I'm going to um, I'm going to try and desperately join these together by saying we did get some mailbag from a semi-regular correspondent who goes by the Twitter handle of Little Miss Hairy Legs. Now, she did ask us. She said it was reasonable. She said, hi, Scott and Andrew. Request for the full pod. We've got docs in your five stocks for 2021, but we should have Andrews too. I think we can allow him to be a late starter. So I'm gonna I'm going to claim this as a mailbag question, thereby not completely destroying the promise of this extra episode. <laughs> and in doing so, mate, I'm gonna throw the floor open to you. Now you did mention apparently there's this thing called strawman.com that you run or are involved with somehow or started or something. Um, I don't know much about it, but they tell me strawman.com is a place worth going. Uh, you also mentioned on Friday, completely spoiling the surprise that your holdings are actually available on strawman.com. So let's have a little bit of a plug on that on the basis that I figure people now they're already listening won't stop and we won't spoil the surprise. So after they've heard you talk, where can they go to find your full profile? Just go to strawman.com forward slash strawman because my username is unimaginatively also called strawman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole point, you know, I, I think um, actually we were talking before there was something in the AFR today about, you know, some of the problems that there are with traditional forums and that. So mm-hmm. we, we kind of shine a pretty bright light on people. You can, you can manage a, a play money portfolio with a hundred grand and it's, yeah. it's a way to sort of have that accountability and transparency, but it's just a great way to sort of signal to others what you think are worth holding and in what proportion. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of these mm-hmm. sample, you know, fantasy portfolios, a bit like fantasy football, although, um, you know, with a more serious investment bent. And yeah, yeah. yeah so if it, it, it actually, partly in response to that question, I'm sure you get a million times a day whenever you're with family or friends, <laughs> is, oh, what should I buy? It's like, well, it's, yeah. it's all there. <laughs> and and the idea hopefully is, is that you'll disagree and hate a couple of them and, and throw some really good uh, challenges at me mm. and others because I, I, I genuinely think that's the best way to improve an idea and um, and that's that's the goal of it. So yeah, I'm going to go through the the main holdings on my sample portfolio, and it's no coincidence. Just for full disclosure, that if it's on my sample portfolio, there's a very good chance it's in my real portfolio uh, <laughs> as well. Very good. Mate, yeah. I will ask you to disclose as we go the stocks you do own, just for the purposes of making sure we keep everything up. I own, I own them all. There you go. Uh, makes it <laughs> makes it nice and easy. Go <laughs> uh, across the board. Disclaimer. All right, mate. Let's go. I do. You, let's do. You, do you want to alphabetically? Do you want to order of conviction? What do you What are you thinking? Uh, let's just do it randomly. Um, the one thing I want randomly, to say is it's, right. it's always, yeah, look, you know, look, 
this is always a lot of fun. I like these kinds of exercises. I have to put a bit of a disclaimer here, and it's probably going to sound just just like a bit of ass covering, and maybe that's partly true as well. But I kind of I've never have had the pretense that I've got any predictive capacity when it comes to <laughs> knowing what share prices are going to do right, over right, a right. six or twelve month kind of period. Yep. So we're sort of talking about where is share prices, where's the market, where are these companies going to be in eight months? Wouldn't have the foggiest. Wouldn't be entirely surprised if if many or several or all of them are down considerably from where they are now. Um, it, 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 but where I think we do have a bit of an edge as, as investors, if you can find a decent company and sort of can look longer term to where earnings tend to be a bigger determinant of returns, mm-hmm. I, I feel as though these companies have a pretty good or better than even chance of being much larger companies in the future and then the market will eventually uh, recognise that. I, I mean, I should say a lot of them have, have plenty of recognition already and you'll, you'll see on the scorecard that it's, it's not like any of them are in loss. Um, but but um, I just want to put that disclaimer out there because I think it's not just me. Frankly, I think anyone mm-hmm. who tells you where the market's going to be in eight months' time is probably full of it and uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just not that easy. No, and Matt, so, okay. I, I, we will say when Doc and I did give our lists, uh, we did, it is a five-year holding period. So um, we we made that point up front. We'll do it again, as you say, both from your perspective and ours. Um, you know, we are all long-term investors. We we don't predict. And when we say stocks for twenty twenty-one, we have absolutely zero view interest inclination to say that it's for only 2021 or that somehow we've got 12 month price targets or, or front time frames it's just literally the five stocks we would buy in 2021 if we were buying we did ours in january um only, only three months missing not much has happened the last three months four months <laughs> oh, <I'm> over, <laughs> over five years I'm, I'm 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 much more much more happy to stand behind after five years 100 percent. there we go let's hear it your first stock mate for five years for 2021 what's number one on your list in your random list not necessarily no number number somewhere between one and five randomly uh, what, what's the first stock you're going to mention well in terms of waiting as it turns out at this exact point in time it's a, a little company called alcidian and the ticket code there is alc alcidian um, okay. Alcidian, these guys do medical uh, software. They help uh, hospitals administer wards, uh, help doctors communicate, share uh, patient charts and the rest of it. It's amazing to think, mate, in 2021 that there are, there are a lot of um, first world institutions that are still using pager technology and, and mm. you know, pen and paper <laughs> charts and stuff. Yeah. It's just the, the medical fraternity has been a very slow adopter of technology. So mm. that mm. structural shift is guaranteed. And it's yep. actually well and truly underway. So it's a pretty competitive space. Um, but we're starting to see some some uh, winners emerge in various niches. And I think Alcidian is one of them. Right. Um, so they've, they've, they've rocketed up the weighting um, primarily because the share price has gone up a lot. So I sort of, <laughs> nice. it's, it's, I, I, I mentioned it first because it's number one ranked. To be honest with you, I'm not a million miles away from lightening the load just purely from a, a portfolio risk management perspective. Right, okay. Um, okay. So with that, that caveat out of the way, I think it's much, the, the, val- the market has, has recognized the value uh, to a much greater extent than it did when I first started buying, which, yeah, was, right. which was actually back in, in April of last year, around 14 cents or so. Um, but yeah, look, it, it's it's very nice. It has a lot of the attributes that I, I look for in a company uh, in the sense that it's got really nice unit economics. It's got a long runway. It's got a bit of a first mover advantage. And it's, it's actually got some really nice uh, traction in its sales too. They've won oh. some, the CEO, Kate Quirk, has been very disciplined in their expansion. So unlike a lot of companies, they've resisted the, the lure of, of the big, uh, highly profitable US market. And they're focusing <laughs> in the UK on the NHS. 
right. winning a bunch of deals there. They've got a bunch of deals already in Australia and New Zealand. And they're just getting it done. So mm. that's that is that is the first one. Like like yep. a lot of these companies, I'm going to mention they're probably a bit spicier than what you'd find in in the top mm-hmm. 200. They are smaller cap stocks. So bear, bear that in mind. It'll be it'll be a lumpy ride. Mm. Um, I think Pushpay is another one worth mentioning. PPH is the code there. These guys is a payment service really focused on the uh, faith niche. And, uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's basically churches. So instead of passing the old collection plate around, they they have an app where uh, people of, of congregations can can donate money and raise money, and they can you know engage with their their flock uh, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's nice. it's. It's carved out a really interesting niche in this space. It's the absolute global leader. Another one of these Kiwi companies that's just taken over the world. Australasian, um, I like to say, Andrew. Australasian? It, yeah, Australasian. When it's a good thing, it's also <laughs> definitely Australasian. Um, and these guys, I've had, I've had these for years. In fact, actually, first on even on Strawman, I have, I have a holding that went all the way back to 2017. Mm. Um, but it's just playing. It's just, I just really, it ranks really highly overall in Strawman. I've been really happy to continue holding it because it just keeps getting it done. Of all of the SaaS metrics that people might be familiar mm-hmm. with. You know, average um, revenue per user, retention yep. rates, growth rates, it just, everything is bottom left, top right in their presentation has been for, forever. Um, and I think there's still a very, very long way to run. And it, it it's so often, like a lot of these companies, you'll see you kind of think, oh, I've missed it. And well, mm. definitely there's been some upside that you've missed. But um, although the price is more expensive, in a lot of cases, the thesis is more played out as well. So the, the, mm. the risk is a lot lower. So it's... It's less speculative than it once was, and that is that is reflected in the price. But but there's still there's still good opportunity. These these are the short answers, by the way, mate. Because no, I like you, it. I like. I'm going to ask you one question about push pay, mate. My I, I've been asked about this before. I don't know if I've talked about it in the podcast, but I can't actually remember. Um, but I just as a straight out question, uh, they kind of acknowledged six months or so ago, maybe longer. Now time, I'm getting old, mate. Time, time starts to uh, it goes faster and faster. Um, yeah. <laughs> When I, I'm mindful that they changed strategy relatively recently, they kind of maxed out the mega churches and they said, No, no, no okay, we've done that. We're now going to go small, medium sized church. We're going to kind of fill in the gaps, if you like, color in the map. That, in theory, would say to me two things. One is maybe the growth story is kind of overish. And two, those smaller and mid sized churches are probably going to be more expensive to acquire. In other words, to kind of bring on board because they are like same cost but but a lower revenue return right so a lower ROI acquisition tell me why pushpay's best days aren't behind it so i think you're absolutely right the the lower fruit has been harvested um, absolutely, they had a very deliberate strategy for many years to focus on the mega churches. It, it's if you're not in that scene, and I'm not, um, but if you're not mm. in that scene, we're not talking about your local church on a Sunday. We're talking about sort of football yeah, right. stadium size things, and it's all very, <laughs> it's very, it's very much the evangelical kind of mm. um, set, mm. and um, uh, they're very enthusiastic. <laughs> and there's been there's been a lot of there's been a lot of growth that's 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 come in in that area. So I think you're right. Um, and also, don't forget too. In the early days, you're growing off an earlier base, so you sort of yeah, see these headline yeah. percentage growth rates, which are really high. So I think it's. I, I agree. I think it's it's silly to extrapolate that forward. The bigger you get, the harder it is to maintain that, just just by sheer size of numbers. Yeah. Um, having said that, they. I, I wouldn't use your phrase of they've stitched that market up. There's there's still a lot of opportunity okay. there. Um, cool. The second part of it is is that they uh, the the average 
customer spend from existing clients continues to go up. So they sort of adopt this thing. Oh, hey, it's pretty cool. They get a bit of money starting to flow through there. But as it, mm. it it's actually, it's a very, very sticky product. And mm. it, as it becomes more widely accepted and as people become mm. more familiar with it, as people... Uh, it just becomes part of that habit, and the, the churches themselves broaden the use case. There's there's other services and stuff um, in in terms of what they do. It's not just payments. I've I've given a very very quick overview with that. Um, right. So so the, so you will you will see you will see the average revenue per user uh, increase, and 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 although it's much harder and and arguably lower margin with the smaller tier churches, there's a lot of them, mate. So it's kind mm. of like. It's I always reminded of that line from Kenny, that that great Aussie movie, and you know he says, "Oh, this stink will outlast religion," um, and it just it's just such a great line because it just says that you know that there's something that's going to hang around. You know, it's, you can predict. It's always hard predicting the future, but you know, I'm, I think it's pretty safe that religion's going to be around for a while, like every other sort of industry. If I can be a little bit controversial, they they will they will digitize, and they are, and there's a long way to run, and. And so, yeah, and, and the, it, as I always bang on about, I think um, it, there's a quality of a company, but then there's the valuation. And I think yeah. based on what, what is realistic, that valuation still allows for good upside. So I've got a, I've got a valuation of just over two bucks on Strawman, which you can, you can dig into the reasoning there. Very good. Thank you, mate. Let's go to number, number three. Man, we're only up to number three. Okay, um, <laughs> so number right. three Mate, is, this is, this is- Honestly, can I tell you, there are people out there in podcast land with their pens and papers out. They are not worried about us talking for too long on your best ideas. Don't worry about that. Well, well, I, I always say too, and I know I'm repeating myself here, but remember, you can always borrow an idea. You, you can never borrow conviction. So the, these are just hopefully, I think, something interesting to look at, but, but do your nice. own research because you might disagree and mm-hmm. these are volatile stocks and when they do go against you and they will at some point, I don't, I don't want any angry letters, okay? So uh, okay, no responsibility. Oh, you're, you're, mate, um, you're in the wrong business. If you don't want your stock picks <laughs> assessed and, and free and frank feedback provided you're in the wrong game you know that well and i definitely right want i definitely want the <laughs> feedback and stuff i just i just don't want the oh the share price has gone down you know three percent this week what's going on that i think that's that's i'm not trying to make any claims around that so um there's a couple next ones i'm going to go through which uh anyone who's been with me for a while will roll their eyes at because i'm sort of a long um oh, long-term God, fan go. on stocks that that everyone tends tends to hate oh, although go. i will say i will say just to to you know um bolster myself up a little bit they've both delivered outstanding returns for me um so th- there is that and i think i think part of the opportunity is the is is in fact recognizing that yeah there's a few hairs on these guys but then again it's th- that opportunity that, that that is what gives you the more attractive risk reward proposition in terms of the share price so with that out of the way i'm going to go with catapult international group um, I think I first mentioned it back to you when in, in the full days, mate. I had I had yeah. some way back then. The code is yeah. CAT. If you're a sport fan, you'll you'll probably know of them. If ever you see uh, you know the rugby or, or the AFL or just name any major sport, there's often they wear these sort of man bra things with this little electronic device in the back of them, which tracks your speed, your impact, and a whole like a gazillion different data mm-hmm. points, which is used at the elite level to sort of by coaches and trainers and all of this kind of stuff. So. It's another, you know, relatively sort of small to mid-cap Aussie company that's a genuine market leader globally. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had a bit of a, a shady history with, I think, poor capital management, poor cash management in the past. But there's a new CEO on board. The top line growth has been consistent at 20% for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Took a bit of a hit with COVID, with you know, their major market being the US. 
But they've just got, again, really strong first mover advantage, nice economics, strong network effects, high top line growth. Uh, on passing this inflection point as well. So it's we're now past that point of all these capital raises and they're, they're, they're virtually self-funding at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're looking at you're looking at you're looking at companies with other other companies out on the market with 20% top line growth that are trading at like as we were saying uh, earlier on the week, you know, 55 times sales multiples. Well this this is a, I think it's like only 3 or something. So it's it, relative mm-hmm. in this market it seems really cheap. The other one is um Man, we we've only gone we've only gone three in. Um, the other one is EnviroSuite. Another I knew one it was. Which, that was one I was waiting for. Ding ding people. ding! Ring the bell, uh, mate. <laughs> you know, eighty eighty three percent compound return uh, per annum over the last four years. It's done me very 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 well. Right, EnviroSuite um, really. EVS. EVS, it, it, it got a little crazy there for a little bit. And I actually was a seller, as you'll see in my trade history. Um, not that I can time the markets. Of course, I, I could have done much better if I knew how to time the markets. But <laughs> again, just going with my usual philosophy of, you know, accumulate when it's when it's cheap and lighten when, mm-hmm. it, when, it's, when it's very expensive. And, and overall, that tends to do you okay. So these guys do environmental moni- uh, monitoring. Um, they don't do the devices. They're device agnostic. They do the software. So you'll if you're a mine site, you'll have all these sensors around that measure things like sound and dust, uh, all, all kinds of different uh, types of, of environmental pollutants, and it feeds it back to people so they can manage their operations. So it's a very, very fast-growing area. It is, again, um, a very ni- highly, highly niche area. So as a normal consumer, you're never going to come across these guys. But again, genuine world leaders globally in this fast accelerating space with some really, really big-name clients. And they there's a, there, again, there's I've tracked these guys since they started out as a small consulting firm and they're a much larger business after a big reverse takeover last year. Uh, mm. But like okay, 13 cents, I, I think I think there's there's good value to be had. Whew. And last but not least is E-Road. Uh, again, I've, I'm, I'm going with the Kiwis here. I'm backing our, our cousins across the ditch. This is a, a company where the ticker code is ERD. Um, uh, actually got uh, this first pointed to by uh, Matt Joss, a former colleague of ours at The Fool too. Um, he, he pointed me in this direction and the more I read, the more I liked it. They do, they do a whole range of services around uh, managing truck fleets. So they will look after tolls, travel times, uh, they have dash cams, stuff. It, it, all, it all helps uh, operators of large logistic fleets manage their fleets much more, uh, much more better. How terrible is that English? Much more better <laughs> and also meet a lot of regulatory conditions. So they're absolutely the dominant player in New Zealand. Although, okay, that's great, but it's a, it's a small market. But they've moved into the US. In fact, they moved into the US before they moved into Australia, and they're doing really, really well there. So you'll see this huge fall off a cliff recently on the share price because, again, with COVID, they, their, their sales dried up a little bit. But mm. it spoke nothing to the long-term structural dynamics at play and the, and, the, and the opportunity present for these guys. And lo and behold, they've come out with an update recently, and the market's gone, oh, yeah. Um, so it was a great, great opportunity <laughs> to load up recently. You could have got this at under 4 bucks uh, just back in March. Um, having said that, I still think there's really good value here. The CEO is a really switched-on guy, a very much a shareholder-focused guy. Uh, they're getting it done, and and I think you have, my friend, five five companies at the at the smaller end of the market, which many people may not have heard of, but are definitely worth a closer look. Very good, mate. So I'm going to run through how do, how do those, do? and I'm I'm going to do them in order so people catching up can grab those names. They are Alcidian, which is actually spelled A L C I D I O N. The code is A L C. 
Pushpay, P-P-H, Catapult, C-A-T, Enviro Suite, E-V-S, and E-Road, E-R-D. Andrew's five stocks for five years from 2021. Nice work, mate. A very good list. Set a, remind, set a reminder. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be still doing this, I'm sure, in 2026. We'll see how we went. <laughs> mate, depends if, uh, if you're ahead or I'm ahead. If uh, you're ahead, I probably will forget we ever had this conversation. If I'm ahead, I will happily spend multiple episodes <laughs> reviewing our respective performances. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Nice Can I just Thank say you too, much. for the record, because we've we've talked about this before again, but it bears repeating. I mean these these being smaller stocks, I think you you are very you are vastly better yep. off with a basket approach. So I I, I fully believe totally. that you will see a couple of these not do too well in the fullness of time, but on average as a basket, they should do pretty well. Yeah, and really clearly, we're not going to be picking the my best performing stock or your best performing stock and put them against each other, or my worst and your worst against each other. We're going to be looking at the total result of the overall list of five stocks. And I will say, we said this in January, mate. I, I imagine you also say the same. Five stocks is equal, and it's still not enough. You know, hopefully, it's reasonably representative of our investing styles, and we hope to deliver positive returns from them. I think I said about doc stocks, and I certainly will say about ours and, and yours. Buying them all, <laughs> you know, the, the 10 yeah. we talked about, the five you talked about, building a basket of, you know, diversify a basket of at least 10, preferably 15, preferably 20 stocks in the fullness of time uh, is a far better approach than grabbing any five, no matter who says it. I mean, mine are better than yours, obviously, but, you know, assuming, <laughs> assuming they weren't, um, the, yeah, the, just, yeah, please don't just grab even these five, but at least grab these five if you want to look at them. Uh, don't choose one or two and say, wow, that one sounds great. I should buy that one. We don't know. You don't know which ones are going to do well, which ones are going to do badly. We hope they all will or we wouldn't put them up. But we're also very, very fond of uh, history and averages and reality, which says even the best ideas uh, sometimes go well, sometimes go badly. And in fact, I will say on your behalf, mate, I'll I'll assume and you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, the smaller they are, the more speculative they are, the bigger the basket you would suggest because – you know the range of outcomes is probably much much larger than if you picked five large caps for success there's a very good chance you'll do well but probably not as well in this case um as you say maybe a couple go through the roof maybe a couple go through the floor overall the results can be pretty good that's 100 percent true there's there's this um unspoken well not not really unspoken it it should be widely known there is a there's in in finance and investing and economics and in so much in life there's there's always a trade-off at play And so definitely, I'm, I'm sure these stocks skew towards the more smaller volatile end than, than what you, you, you yourself would have, would have mm-hmm. nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why would you do that? Well, the, the, you do that because the, the upside is, is also greater. Yeah, absolutely. And that doesn't, that's not to say that risk equals reward. You take heaps amount of risk, you are guaranteed more reward. It's just that if you want higher reward, you have to go further up that risk spectrum. So, you know, you can put it all in, in, in cash and you'd yep. be 100% safe, but, you know, maybe you'll get a 0.05% return. <laughs> um, or you can put it all in the smallest, dodgiest biotech in the world and you might get a gazillion percent return, but but <laughs> you might also lose the lot. So there's there's the spectrum you need to sort of contemplate. It's hard, isn't it? I, <laughs> it's Goldilocks. One, of our, one mm. of our former colleagues, Morgan Housel, says that he believes the greatest risk most people take is not taking enough risk. But he would yep. be the first to say that doesn't mean better than every specky miner you see going past your brokerage screen. And so it's kind oh, yeah. of it's it's a literally it literally is Goldilocks. Don't be too hot. Don't don't you know risk your investment portfolio on lotto tickets because that's dumb. Equally, don't risk your investment portfolio not growing at all, even keep up with inflation, let alone giving you money to retire on by not taking any risk at all. Finding the Goldilocks position for you as an investor is really about trying to find the right spot on that risk spectrum where you're comfortable enough that you're building your wealth, 
not so aggressively you're losing money by taking stupid risks, but not so conservatively that you're not really compounding at all. Yep. And it's also, I, I guess, there's so many caveats and we, we do repeat ourselves, but I, I think it's all for the better good. And there's also a, a lot of the time, because, you know, look, I like, I like to, I like to do a victory lap every now and again, you've got to ce- celebrate the victories when they come. And if you go to my portfolio on Strawman, you'll see it's, it's been a really, really great run. Um, and, and people tend to look at it and go, oh, yes, okay, but that's up, you know, whatever it is and I've missed it and that was <laughs> that was easy and, and the rest of it. But there's, and there's, there's a couple of things to say there. But mm. one of the things that I would point out is even on the ones that I've done really, really well on, it's a, it's a mistake to think that I bought it and then it just started going up. So yeah. a lot of them you'll look at and you'll say, actually, when, when I first bought it, it dropped 30% in the next three months and then, and then it sat there for eight months, you know, and then it went up and then it went down. So it's kind of like, the, the, the long-term result has been very attractive, which has always has been the, the bet, I suppose. Um, but, but don't kid yourself that even, even, like, even, when it, even when it does go your way ultimately, that is never, yeah. ever, ever, ever a straight line. And as we've said before, the real, I think one of the key arts with investing is to recognize or distinguish between a mistake from volatility. Share prices go down for dumb reasons all the time. Uh, and sometimes they go down for very, very good reasons. And <laughs> it's distinguishing between the two. Because in one yep. scenario, you ignore. And in fact, you probably buy more. Um, yep. In another scenario, you go, whoops, I was absolutely definitively wrong. Get the hell out. And, and yep. uh, so, so knowing the difference is key. I will add one too, mate. Um, the, uh, the, the one I'll add is sometimes you're wrong but that's not you're wrong for the right reasons and i guess what i'm saying here yeah. is you've just talked about those five stocks right you expect some of those stocks to go down by de- almost by definition and even yeah. when they do that actually doesn't mean the investment approach was even wrong because you're deliberately taking on that chance because you're also looking for the ones that might go up i think that's the other thing that investors need to remember you you know we're not gunning for 9 out of 10 here because the 9 out of 10 increase you buy Telstra, the big four banks, Woolies, you wait 10 years, you might make a little bit of money. And look how good I am. I've got nine out of 10. And you might, mm. you probably haven't even caught up with the market, kept up with the market at that rate. Now, over the last five years, the banks fell actually, by the way. So it's not even a guarantee. Even if you do that, you'll make money. But in this case, yeah. if, if one of your five stocks loses 50%, that actually won't be a mistake in the process necessarily. Maybe, no. you, might, you may have got something horribly wrong, but it's actually possible that if the, if the process, let's, let's say you double your money with these five stocks, but one of them goes down 50%. Well, is the, is the stock picking process a mistake or a success? And I think you, have to, you would have to say this is a success because it embraces the reality that some will lose, some will win big. And if that's what you're trying to do, then that's actually, you know, the exception proves the rule. It doesn't invalidate it. And that's a really, really important thing that many novice investors don't get. You lose money on a couple of stocks and think, oh man, I've got these dogs. What do I learn? I won't do that again. But often yeah. the thing you did that made that stock be a loser was what you actually did to make the other stock double and so you've got to be careful you, yeah. don't, you don't eliminate the stuff that's the right approach just with a wide range of potential outcomes. It's about process. It's not about outcome. And we, we were speaking, was it last week or the week before, about um, Bernie Madoff when, when he yeah, passed. last week, yeah. You know, and so it's sort of like of all the alarm bells that were out there, it was the consistency <laughs> of returns. And the same, the same thing happens in yeah. terms of the uh, success rate. So if you find someone out there is going, hey, I, you know, I, every stock I touch turns to gold, it's, it's kind of too good to be true. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's sort of like that. That you, you would exp- So when you look at, uh, you know, mm. Buffett, you look at Marx, you look at um, uh, Lynch, you look any, you name, you Phillips, insert famous investor all the here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the greats. Uh, 
you look at you look at all of them, all of them, and they have yeah. they have strike rates that are at best six <laughs> or seven out of ten, and it's just yeah, right, it's exactly. just about it, as I said before, acknowledging it. So. Um, yeah, hopefully. Look, it's all part of the fun, right? And and it's it's why we say don't get too emotionally attached. It's why we say focus on process. It's why we say focus on the long term. It's not sexy. It's not boring. It's not nearly as compelling as the guy over there telling you that he'll make you a million dollars tomorrow <laughs> risk-free. So, you know, it's never going to be as as compelling a, a sort of story, a narrative to tell. But, you know, it, yep. it's right. <laughs> so that's kind of got that going for it. <laughs> Mate, let's move on. You, that's, that's a great summary. Thank you for those five stocks. And uh, Little Miss Hairy Legs, thank you for asking. For the rest of our listeners, hopefully you've made a note of Andrew's top five stocks so that if I'm better than him, I can lord it over him and you'll remember. All right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on. Can we, so can we, from- can we, can, I was just going to say very quickly, just read out your five because I, I missed your top five. Oh, mate, I haven't, got, I haven't got them in front of me and I'm not entirely sure because we're doing this okay, with one okay. take, I can actually find those stocks. Uh, so I may, a question can, without can you, notice. Can hold that in abeyance. You know the other thing I'm okay. actually a little bit concerned about, really honestly? I may have to go back and listen to the episode because Doc actually kept the records of these. And if I can't find okay. any information on, on the on the shared full drive, I actually may have to recreate it. So uh, fair enough, I, fair I, enough. I, I will I will look for it for next week. How about that? Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Mate, let's go to a question from Weston. Weston says, Hi Scott and Andrew. I have one comment and one question for you. Can I say, mate, when someone starts that way, I invariably expect the comment to be a bit of a whack across the head and ask, ask questions. So yeah, I'm, let's I'm, brace, I'm got bracing myself. I've got one comment. You guys are wrong. Oh, by the way, I've got to quit. No, I'm kidding. All right, Weston, here he says, first, I wanted to make a comment about your Bitcoin discussion on the last episode. Oh, here we go. I thought it was incredibly, capital letters, incredibly interesting and thoughtful to hear a controversial topic explored in a debate-like style. I strongly agree with your comments that in order to be a successful investor, you need to hear the bear and the bull case for each idea before you decide. Admittedly, says Weston, I am still mostly aligned with Andrew's oh, there we go, Andrew's viewpoint and, and I'm bullish on the long-term performance of Bitcoin as an investment. But I 100% understand Scott's <laughs> argument against it. I think it's also very logical to stay out of Bitcoin entirely. It was very helpful to hear both sides. Thank you so much for exploring the Bitcoin thesis. Uh, or he says, or Scott, it's lack of a thesis with a um, crying, smiling <laughs> face in more depth than you probably wanted to. Well, it's probably clear. All right. There's more to the be question. said. Weston I'm, I'm said- gunning for another follow-up episode down the track sometime. <laughs> but, yeah. oh, let's hope it's like after we review our five-year performance of these stocks. <laughs> okay. um, Weston goes on. My question is about something that was mentioned in the same podcast episode, Coinbase going public. Mm. You briefly mentioned the company and what it does. It's a Bitcoin exchange for those who didn't catch the episode, but I didn't get a sense of what your opinions are on the company itself and whether you would invest in it. In my opinion, I don't think it's a good investment. If Coinbase's revenues are generated mainly from transaction fees, then they are completely vulnerable to the value of cryptocurrency and the public sentiment towards crypto at any given time. This means that its earnings and the share price will be wildly volatile. I think Coinbase's share volatility has a much greater downside risk than Bitcoin's volatility because Bitcoin is a new asset, which is still in a discovery or adoption phase. Meanwhile, stocks in general are an established asset class and that shouldn't expect an exponential increase of global market participants. So in order to make a good return on Coinbase stock, you need to time it perfectly, which is nearly impossible. I personally don't plan on buying Coinbase shares, but I'm always open to being proven wrong. What do you think? Are you bears or bulls on Coinbase? Andrew, you're the resident Bitcoin. <laughs> I, knew, I, knew, uh, I knew you were going to throw that it? straight to me. Uh, well, no, Bitcoin evangelists. Um, no, evangelists. Uh, what do we is, call it? Is too strong. Uh, <laughs> no, I, right. oh, I don't. What do you think I'm about not, Coinbase? I'm not being lured into it. 
Well, look, as I said on the time, I, I haven't I haven't done the nest. I, I like to dive pretty deeply into a business before I buy it, and I just haven't not done the work. But so I'll yeah, speak right. more generally, and, and for that reason, I'm just I'm neither bullish or bearish. I think. I think uh, he's right that the success of, of Coinbase is tied to the success of crypto at large. And I'm also convinced that the, the higher the price goes there, the more attraction there'll be and the more volumes. And, and that's great for Coinbase. Um, now, theoretically, they should be to some extent agnostic as to what, what these um, tokens are doing, because it's, you know, as long as people are trading them back and forth at whatever price, you're, you're clipping the ticket on the way through. So there is there is that. It's just that again, as you rightly point out, there'll be more transaction when things are very mm. exciting and moving all in all in the right direction. So um, uh, I'd also say too that it, it's it's it is going to be volatile. It's the same you see with brokerage firms and the rest of it. They they, they their profitability mm. follows market cycles. So so that thing will happen as well. But at the same time, I think going forward, you know, people are going to use an exchange. Most people do, uh, you know, private self-directed investors do. It's just too risky almost to sort of maintain a wallet yourself. Um, and I think that there will be a winner there. And I think given these guys have a strong first mover advantage and dominant market share, that will help their likelihood of sort of being there when, when plenty others sort of don't, don't manage to, to uh, go the distance. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be as automatically negative on it. Um, it again, it comes down to the, the valuation, and I, I I can't tell you off the top of my head what what that is. But uh, yeah, I I think if you are broadly positive on crypto and you think Coinbase has a reasonable chance of sort of being a a, a pretty big player in that going forward, which is probably reasonable. And you think that that's sort of reflected accurately in the price, then I I think there's worse investments out there. But you'd have to do the work. Mm. I think that's a good summary, mate. I so I'm going to slightly differ with Western's thesis or, or comment only in the sense that Western, if Coinbase remains at the forefront as to Andrew's point of Bitcoin buying and selling as a broker slash exchange slash platform, whatever you want to call it, if there is an exponential uptake in crypto that you expect, I think it's reasonable to assume that the buying and selling would not necessarily have the same curve, like, you know, whether it's exponential or not. But we should expect that if all of a sudden the number of true believers in Bitcoin has an extra zero or two zeros on it, in terms of the total number of people owning, trading, buying, selling Bitcoin, then they're probably going to use an exchange to do that. And so I yeah. wouldn't actually necessarily distinguish between the transaction volumes of Coinbase and the uh, acceptance or uptake of Bitcoin itself. I would actually say those reasonably closely aligned. And I don't... So, so I, and again, you know, will one go up more than the other? Probably, yeah, just because these things are disconnected for whatever reason they're disconnected, right? The price can go up without trades happening, for example. The price can also go down without trades happening. Trades can happen without the price changing. So trying to work out which of those curves is higher and lower is a really, really tough ask. But I would say if there's going to be a heap more people who buy and sell Bitcoin in, in five years time than there are today then a decent proportion of those, as Andrew said, are going to probably do it in Coinbase. And I think that uptake would probably mirror, I would speculate, when I say mirror, roughly mirror, the increase in acceptance of Bitcoin itself. So I don't think, it, I think it'd be too much difference. I think where, if I was going to, if I wanted to be ex exposed to this, I probably actually would go the Coinbase route rather than Bitcoin owning directly. And the reason I simply say that is because if the price of Bitcoin rises and lots of people buy it, Coinbase makes a fortune. If the price of Bitcoin falls and lots of people sell it, Coinbase still makes a fortune. They make money on activity, right? So if you think about the market, so take the ASX. The ASX goes nowhere over 12 months, but every day, hundreds of thousands of people or maybe 
well, maybe thousands of people maybe exchange millions of shares and a Comsec and an Abtrade and a CMC and a whoever make money on that on those trades. And so even though there was actually no value being created on the market, the broker's still getting paid a fortune by people swapping their ownership interests. And I think so for that reason I don't I wouldn't say it's a zero uptake game. You won't necessarily get I mean look if Bitcoin goes through the roof it can rise faster than Coinbase can increase its transactions, for example. Um, and that's you know that's always possible. Um, if you look at the early days of Berkshire Hathaway, just to pick a simple example, because the shares were reasonably underfollowed and they were expensive, very few people traded them, and the price kept going up. And so you would have been better owning Berkshire than the broker in that that circumstance. And if Bitcoin is the equivalent, then you're going to be better owning Bitcoin. Uh, on the flip side, if you were trading GameStop shares, you'd rather be the broker than the GameStop owners, right? And so it kind of depends which way this goes. And I don't, I don't mean to infer anything by any of those examples of good or bad or indifferent on Bitcoin, just that there are differences there and those differences will probably you know, differ in terms of the impact they have on the individual asset versus the shares of, of Coinbase. I would probably go Coinbase as the easier option because you kind of get the benefit of... you. you there's not no downsides. If people are banning Bitcoin altogether and Coinbase just lose all of its trades because no one cares anymore they both could crater um, but I but I would imagine the downside is probably less if you own Coinbase at the right price and the price always matters right and like Andrew I haven't done the valuation yet um, but I would suspect that your downside is is less extreme owning Coinbase shares than owning Bitcoin but that's it that's a pure pure guess pure supposition mm. based on some heuristics but that's about it and like Andrew I haven't done the work mm. anything else you want to add on that mate? No, I think pretty good, pretty good coverage. Um, Let's yeah. interesting space. Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We got a question during the week from Ben. Ben just simply says, Hi Scott, love the podcast. Thank you, Ben. Interested to hear your thoughts on the new brokerage platform called Superhero. Thanks, Ben. Do you know Superhero, Andrew? Do you have a view? I, I know I know uh, superhero. Um, I, I don't know I don't know them intricately well in terms of their business model. Maybe you could uh, illuminate me and our audience. <laughs> so we've covered this. The reason I asked you first, we've covered. Well, I, I like asking you the hard questions broadly, but um, we've covered this before. I made my uh, I, I had a view. I expressed my view. Um, I then subsequently heard from superhero CEO. Uh, whose name is escaping right now, which is really, really embarrassing. I see the bloke's face. I can't for life me remember it. So if you know what it is, let me know, Andrew. Um, if I remember it in the meantime, I'll let you know. Um, basically, hey, you're a bit rough. I'd like a right of reply. Can we at least chat about it? So, yeah, absolutely. John Winters is the guy's name. John Winters. Um, John yeah. said, hey, uh, that's, a bit, that's a bit tough. Can we talk about it, please? I went, yeah, sure. So we actually had John on the podcast. There is a there is an episode you can go back to listen to that, that interview where I basically put the harder questions to him. And we had that conversation, which was which was super useful, hopefully. So if you want to go back into the Motley Fool Money archives, which is a one-on-one conversation with John and I, I think the week before or two weeks before, I'd been clear about my thoughts. I So bottom line, I think Superhero is fine. Uh, one thing you need to be mindful of is the chess holdings are in a grouped chess holding, not individual chess holding. So it, with, with Comsec, the chess account is my name. In Superhero, the chess account is in the overall organizational name and then we're all kind of sub-ledger kind of owners of those shares so we're not we're not registered with chess the same way we'd be if we bought with a traditional broker but the shares are still chess sponsored to chess's responsible entity if that makes some sense so that's one degree less security 
And for me, that was something I would happily, personally, pay more for a broker that had the scooter in my name specifically, just because I want one less point of failure. But other people can choose differently and that's fine. That's how Superhero makes it cheaper because they don't have to pay all the different chess transactions on all the different you know, payments on all the different tra- do it. They do one, one transaction per security per day. Makes a whole lot more sense for them. I get it. I don't. I said I would pay a little bit more per transaction for one more degree of, of safety or one less point of failure, but each to their own. Other than I have nothing. John, John's a good guy. Superhero seem well-backed. Their legals look really good. Their financial services guy looks pretty clean. Have no, no criticism of them, themselves or what they're doing. They're simply offering to provide you with a cheaper service by changing the way your, your shares are held and the security in which they're held. And for some people, that's great. For other people, that's not. I'm one of the not people. I'd rather have it in my own name. Thank you very much. But that's just me. Um, what I will, and I have said before, is I am worried on behalf of our listeners and investors at large about the impact of free and cheap brokerage generally. And that's not superhero's fault at all. This is the market they're in. If they don't do it, someone else will. So I don't have any issue with them specifically, but I would say to our listeners, please be very, very, very careful with cheap and free brokerage in the sense that the irony of expensive brokerage is it makes you think three or four or five times before you buy shares. Because if you've got to pay 100 bucks to buy shares and another 100 bucks to sell them, that's a lot of money to dust if you're wrong, right? So you kind of think more about it. Do I really want to own this stock? And then when you think about selling, it's like, oh, I could sell, but it cost me a hundred bucks. So maybe I'll hold on to the shares. If transactions are free, what do you reckon happens? Yep, you got it. We all trade more frequently because, hey, where's the cost? Where's the problem? Why not do it? And generally speaking, we know from the literature, the longer on average you hold a share, the better off your returns are likely to be. So I would, I would ask our listeners to be super, super, super careful about free and cheap brokerage in the sense that it potentially sets you up to let your monkey brain, your reptilian brain, your unevolved part of our brains that make us want to do things now, you know, don't just wait, do something. Um, they make that part of the brain uh, more able <laughs> to turn us into action where inaction might make more sense. Your thoughts in general, yeah, mate? I, yeah, I, I think that's all true. I think anything that sort of stops us from all the, the uh, less noble parts of our uh, characters, <laughs> right. uh, you know, doing doing silly things is good. <laughs> um, you know, at the same time, I guess I would look at it when choosing a broker, I would I would say at the same time while I agree with that, it is important to minimise any costs that you can. Mm. Um, so, you know, if, if you're if you're gonna if you want to buy a company for all the right reasons for all you know, um, then then you might as well pay five dollars per trade than fifty dollars a trade, right? Yeah, totally. Um, yep. it's it's just cheaper. Well that's me but totally just, I agree. All else, all else being equal, so yep. I, I think I think it's a very interesting market because that that brokerage is trending basically, and it is at zero for places like yeah. Robinhood and the rest of it. So when it comes to choosing a broker, I think you want things like security, as you mentioned before. Yep. I think you want, I think you do want low, low cost um, as long as you can control yourself. But I, but I think you also we're finding that brokers are competing more and more on features. Um, rather than the execution only part of it, so I, mm, I mean, mm. there's I, I've got no affiliation with any of them, but some have some really nice, clean platforms, really fast execution. You can get company announcements, you can get research, you can get all like a whole bunch of stuff on there. And like, why not if they're offering it for a compelling price and it helps inform your decision? Mm, I, mm. I think it's good. Um, so 
having said all of this, I've I opened up a, a trading account when I was twenty one or something like that, <laughs> um, and I've been with them ever since. Even though they are by far the cheapest <laughs> from the market, yeah. it's just because it's just because I'm lazy, and and two, I really yep. don't trade that often. So for for yep. me. Same. I sh- I probably should, but given I, I people might be surprised by this, but I I'd be lucky if I did ten trades a year. To be honest mm. with you, that 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 can that can change depending on the circumstances. But I'm I'm not in and out in and out. I'm I'm very much a very slow as you often say slow to buy and slower to sell. So to me, it's kind of like uh, do I really want to go through the whole hassle, which might save me maybe a hundred bucks over the course of a year? It's just I I. I I don't bother for someone new who's starting out and looking for someone um, that they want to go with. And yeah, absolutely. Consider price, consider features, consider security. There is no shortage of options that are out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, but superhero looks, looks good for what they offer. I, I don't have anything bad or, or, or especially positive to say. I'm, I'm agnostic yeah, again, nice. mate. No, I, I like it, man. I think that's, that's perfectly sensible. I, the only thing I would say about brokers, I, and just for the sake of adding to the conversation, but not for long, is you know what I would rather pay five dollars and twenty dollars for brokerage too, but if I'm going to buy some shares, I'm not going to sell for forty years, and they're going to go up five or seven or tenfold in that that time frame. The yeah. cost of the brokerage is kind of immaterial, and I, which is not to say it doesn't matter, and it's not to say don't worry about it, it's not to say don't get a better deal if you can, because why pay more than you have to? Just like there's no no sense in doing it. There's no one you're you're only, you're only fattening up some broker's bank account right rather than yours. So do, do yeah. By all means, get the cheapest one. I, I'm also, I saw with Comsec, mate, I've said that before. Um, I speak of this, I, I originally opened an account, this is how old I am, with TD Waterhouse, who were then acquired <laughs> by Comsec. So I didn't even open a Comsec account, but I have one, I've had one ever since. Um, and I paid 20 bucks a trade. And you know what? I can move for 10, but I don't, that, that 10 bucks a trade I'm saving, to your point, I trade so infrequently that the customer service is good. I know how to use the program, the platform, the website's always up. I don't have any worries about, you know, anyone behind the scenes or have no worry about reputational risk or any of that sort of stuff it's just too easy not to and again for me mm. like if I'm measuring points of failure and points of risk and whatever I just you know like for all the things I do for 10 bucks trying to try to chase brokers around the, the market for 10 bucks a trade I just like I'd rather go I'd rather go a couple of cups of coffee like it's just not that big a deal right and not for everyone yeah. some if you're saying with 500 bucks and yeah it makes a huge difference and of course you don't want to pay more than you have to but I would also, just to your point, manage things like security, customer service, ease of use, all, this, all the stuff that comes with that as well. Yeah. Worry more about what you're buying rather than how much it's go. costing yeah, you. Yeah. Well, you know, and you know what? Yeah. That's, that's actually the better. That's actually the much better summary of everything, which is like, you know what? Don't major in the minors. If you're, you, you know what the thing is? Here's the thing, mate. The chance of you getting your – if you're buying $1,000 worth of shares and you're paying 10 bucks for brokerage or 20 bucks of brokerage – the saving is one percent. The chance you're going to get the the purchase price right by that one percent is so far out of the ballpark anyway. It's so it's almost not relevant, right? It's like if you if you make twenty five percent, the one percent's not going to matter. If you lose twenty percent, the one percent's still not going to matter. Um, yeah. I love that. Works on what you're buying. Perfect. Yeah, Let's move yeah, on. Yeah. Yep. Question from Chris. Hey Scott, I was reading a comment that increasing super will destroy some businesses as there'll be less money circulating because it won't be going to people's bank accounts. <laughs> to me, that seems incorrect. If, my, if more money goes into super, that money still goes into the world, doesn't it? For example, money travels from employer to super fund who then buys shares. Shares could have been sold by Fred who needed the cash to buy a new car or maybe by Fred who got out of the banks and moved his money into Kogan shares and the person he bought Kogan shares off sold them to buy a new boat, etc., etc. Basically, he says the money still goes into the world in some way or other, doesn't get locked away in super so no one can spend it. So it still helps society even if it doesn't go directly from employer to the employee's bank account. 
If a business doesn't survive, it's my opinion that it's just natural selection. Also, he says, I know you're not an advocate of the banks. I have Macquarie Bank shares. Do you have more love for Macquarie Bank, say, than Westpac or CBA? Thanks for your continued efforts with the podcast. Love your work. Full on. That's from Chris. All right, let's take that as an order, mate. Um, mm, is put more, is putting more money in super destroying the economy? No, no, it's not. Um, you know, obviously, uh, businesses are going to argue for their own uh, well-being, and we all are. We all, we all, whether we admit it or not, sort of approach things with um, a very strong uh, self-interest filter on. So, no business in its right mind or business council or lobby is going to get up there and go, "Yes, please, can we put more money into super?" So, you, you're always going to hear these. And can we pay more tax? And we, can we increase the minimum wage, please? That'd be lovely. Yeah, exactly. Of course, you know they're they're, they're not going to say that, you know. But at the same time, are they or they or anyone who makes a claim that it's destroying society wrong? Well, well no. And and you've got to understand that this is a this is a public policy that goes beyond individual investments and shares. And so it's actually a much bigger point that needs to be addressed here rather than what it means for an individual business. It really is about what it means for the society that we want to live in and that we do live in. And yeah, so, right. you know, we're going to have this aging population. Uh, we've got to fund it somehow. Um, so mm-hmm. we can do it with uh, <laughs> welfare down the track, which is going to have to be paid by extra tax or something. Or we can we can sort of help encourage people and incentivize people and structurally, you know, structure the, the system to, mm. to sort of provide for people's retirement. And I think there's a huge amount of merit in, in doing all of that kind of mm. stuff. Mm. So, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't lose any sleep. I, it's hard to sort of answer these questions without sort of revealing your political leanings. And yep. not that I'm ashamed of them in any way, but I, I also yep. know through experience that whenever you disclose that, you, you just instantly <laughs> piss off half of your listeners. So, hey, welcome to my world on Twitter, by the way. Whenever I, I – you know, the, the, the irony about – so I'm not, I'm not particularly political either direction. I, I You know me, I, I'm happy to give them both a whack. And some people I've spoken with about this, like, oh, don't upset the listeners. Don't upset. I, I – the funny thing about Twitter is you got like – when I say something about this maybe positive labor, I get all these people going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say something positive about liberal, like I got the other group saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually yeah. realize I actually lose – every time I do something like that, I lose followers. I'm like – I'm stupid. Like I should just, I should, I should pick a side and just go on the ranty, ranty, ranty show about whichever side. I should have two accounts, right? One for one for the left, one for the right, and I'd be, I'd have twice as many followers on both accounts. Uh, but yeah. but you know, if you try and balance, like you, you annoy half the people every single time. And if you too balance, you annoy both groups all the time. In which case, no one likes you, which is you know it, not great. Yeah, it's as I say, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I've got very strong opinions, you know. But I just, yeah. I, I just, unless it's productive to answering the question, I, I prefer <laughs> not to say where I yeah, kind of. But sure. I, I'll, I'll spin it this way. I'll say this: um, <laughs> the great thing about this, this also goes for things like uh, I don't know whether you want to, like a carbon tax would be another really good example, or, or mm. a, a, a toll on plastic bags or packaging <laughs> and these kinds of things. Yeah. Is that companies that have genuine pricing power? Uh, actually won't feel a bump at all because they'll just pass on the cost to you. And yeah, exactly. um, th- that's, that's what they do. That's what they should do, in fact. You know? So let's, let's, say, yep. hy- let's say hypothetically some miracle happens and the government decides that they're going to enforce a, a, a carbon tax on, on any, mm. kind, any company that manufactures or makes anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and let's say, again, I have, a, I have no way I've done the numbers on this, but let's say for the sake of argument, that means that a, a, a can of Coke goes from, what, I don't know, two bucks to $2.08. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think 
Coke will do that and can do that and, you know, we'll all kick and scream and then we'll just all get on with it. There'll be other companies yeah, out there that just right. don't, you know, Not that just don't that. have that pricing power. And what, what it'll yeah. mean for them, it'll mean that they eat it on the margin because people will go, yeah. well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pay a higher price for it. And they kind of go, <laughs> well, that sucks. And I guess we're carrying the load on this. Yeah. Um, and they either survive or they don't. But it, but it is, and that's a whole other conversation, but it is for me, it's, it's another reason when you're looking at a business and we always say you can be super selective. Some businesses have genuine competitive advantages and pricing power. Yep. They are always the best business, you know, and um, it, it, you, you could put any kind of tax you want on smartphones. Apple's going to pass it on. And yeah, then, just, that's right. I know Doc's not here, so I'll, I'll wave the Apple flag in his, in, his, uh, <laughs> in his absence, you know, but it's a great example of a company with super, super strong brand power yeah. that will just do that. And, and, another reason to, to focus your efforts there speaking of doc and speaking of controversy and speaking of tesla um i oh my why not so i'm go gonna on. go both both Do boots it. in the the ongoing whinging about this ev tax right that victoria and act want to bring in to offset the fuel excise loss people are like oh. oh we should be supporting evs can I tell you, if you're paying 160 grand for a new tesla it doesn't matter how much they charge you a year you're gonna pay it because you've got the money to pay it like the whole yeah, idea exactly. of like, oh, we're, it's a sun tax. They're killing the economy because they're going to tax EVs. I'm like, yeah, you know what? When, when Corolla prices are being charged for EVs, yes, if you charge five grand a year as a vehicle tax, people will stop buying them. When you're, yeah. when you're buying six for your to- Teslas, trust me when I say nobody in that price bracket is even slightly price sensitive and they will pay whatever tax you charge them to drive their Teslas. And I don't mean that as a, I'm not bagging Tesla at all. I think it's great. I think, you know, if we get Teslas and more tax revenue, everyone's happy except the Tesla owners. I, you know, I just find the whole idea of, and, and you know what, it's the, it's the, again, speaking of annoying groups of politicians, it's the left of politicians that say, oh, we can't do that, can't do that. It's like, guys, these aren't your people. You know, <laughs> your people are buying the, your people are buying the cars they can afford. I just, anyway, that, that's, that's my Tesla, which is to your point, both in terms of mentioning Doc, which made me think of it, but also the idea of kind of public policy and, and where tax sure shouldn't apply and, Someone's going to pay it, right? Like, there's no free lunch. The government services don't get yeah. paid for by nobody. Someone's going to pay for it. The question is who, how, and where, um, and that's kind of that's kind of what matters, right? It, it, that's exactly it. So it's a very high level discussion, and then it yeah. probably gets to the point for me. It's like as a, a not as a government or anything, but as a society, mm. we 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 should be taxing the things we want less of and giving subsidy yep. to things that we want. That's more tax one hundred one, isn't it? Yeah, you know th- that's what it should be. And there are yep. there are some things that are easier to tax than others. There are some things that are more equitable to mm. tax. So it's these it's these huge big questions that just in, inextricably. Yep. Are linked to some degree to ideology and your worldview. So, as I say, it's very dangerous sort of waters. But look, of all the things that I worry about when I sort of sit down to think what I'm going to invest my money in, the, you know, the, mm. the current level of of super that's being paid mm. by Australian companies is not a big factor for me, if yeah. if, if a factor at all. And I know, I know, the, I know the listener's not saying that, but it's yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's yeah. There's much much bigger fish to fry. I think that's right. Look, I'm going to answer the question very quickly, Chris, to actually disagree slightly with the example, but agree with your conclusion. The reality is if I give money in pay rises rather than super, if I give them a super, 100% goes into the stock market and those shares are probably bought or sold by someone who may well just redeploy that money back into shares and there's no guarantee the money comes out or when it comes out. If I give a pay rise to the lowest paid workers, a medium income workers, 95% of that money is going to be spent and spent in the economy right now. So there is a timing difference which actually does impact economic activity. Now, I don't think it's worth not doing, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with your conclusion, 
but I just want it for the sake of being intellectually honest. If the money is paid in wages, it will be in the economy more and more quickly and more completely than if you pay it as a super contribution, just as, as a matter although, of course. Although that assumes so, that whatever they are not putting into super, they will put into a pay rise. And there's, yeah, a, and cynical, that, which is the there's a cynical interpretation, which is, well, we just won't increase super and we won't give you a pay rise either. If it goes to company profits, that's the worst of all worlds, right? Because exactly right, right. The, the money doesn't go into... Well, I mean, eventually the business owner and all the shareholders... It's, it's actually no... If it goes into profit, it might as well go into super. Because the propensity to have that spent is probably the same. The business owner, mm. whether they be an individual sole trader or, you know, shareholders like you and me, Andrew, and, and hopefully Chris, um, they'll get the dividends at some point. Maybe they'll spend some of that. That's effectively the same as if it was super, because it goes in the same mechanism into the market, right? So I completely agree with you, mate. That's it. that's it. yes. I, I'm assuming that Chris is ex- expecting the the alternative is either into super or into wages, because yeah, the businesses. Uh, if a business is going to go broke because it's got to pay half a percent of wages, which is probably something like 0.3% of its total costs, which is probably something like 0.2% of its total turnover to its employees, then it's that marginal anyway that if the wind blew the wrong way on Monday morning, the business would shut. It simply yeah. is a furphy. Now, you can say businesses deserve more money. Ideologically, that's a different conversation. But to argue that dollar for dollar, this is an economic decision rather than an ideological one, and you're right, you, you realise this is not, Chris, I'm not talking to you particularly, you've absolutely realised this is an ideological conversation rather than an economic one. Economically, you are dead right, mate. Putting money into the economy and putting money into shares is not massively different. It's also, I spoke to um, CPA Australia, the Illawarra branch on Thursday this week. And in doing so, I said, this is the, this is the key challenge for policymakers. And frankly, as investors, we're doing the same thing, right? What's good for households is bad for the economy. And what's good mm. for the economy is bad for households. What does the economy mm. want? Spending. What do households want? Mm. Saving. What does the economy mm. want? It wants everybody maxed out with credit cards so that economic activity goes through the roof. What's best for households? Paying down the debt, saving some money, cutting back consumption. That is the paradox of economic policy. And right there is where, you know, uh, Scott Pape, Barefoot Investor, who's a great guy, was a competitor of ours, now no longer, so I, we'll talk about him more often, or I always did really. Um, you know, he was actually blamed at one point for uh, it was the barefoot. What do they call it? Barefoot something. It was, a lot of people cut up credit cards and pay off credit card balances. And he's right. If everyone if everyone did what he wanted, all of a sudden the economy would actually go into recession. Like really, honestly, mm. that's that's the impact it would have. If we all said, mm. "Oh yeah, let's all stop spending on credit cards from tomorrow," the economy would go into recession, and it'd probably they'd be there for twelve months. And that'd be terrible mm. for the economy, but great for individual households, except those who lost their jobs. And so there's always degrees of merit there's always degrees of ups and downs here that's just how this kind of plays out but generally speaking um chris you're on the you're on the right track andrew uh, chris the second question about the banks macquarie versus the others what do you reckon oh macquarie is a much better uh uh organization i mean <clears throat> demonstrably so when you when you sort of look at their financial history the banks have, have really sort of struggled in recent years mm. um they haven't covered themselves in, in glory either in terms of what various uh, royal commissions and investigations yeah. uh, have found. There's that. Um, you know, uh, but, but Macquarie, look, Macquarie has, they were doing something like two bucks per, uh, profit per share back in 2012 mm. and now they're close mm. on to eight bucks in, in 2020. So they, <laughs> they, they have a, they are very, very smart people. It is a little bit of yep. a black box at the end of the day because yep. it's a people business, it's a services business. So its success depends on how smart these investment bankers are mm. in putting deals together, in making savvy investments. And um, there, is, there is something to be said about uh, institutions an institutional's uh, an institution's legacy and its capacity mm. and its culture and 
You know, they 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 make it rain. <laughs> that doesn't guarantee that they they will in the future. But if yeah, if I was choosing between uh, the, the major um, standard kind of banks and uh, more of an investment bank like Macquarie, I think Macquarie is, is a better bet. Having said that, I haven't invest. I had shares in them all years ago. I haven't for a while, only because it it's one of those ones I'm again fond of saying on the podcast. You know, I don't I don't like to make things overly complicated for myself, and I do I do find that it sort of comes outside of my circle of of competence it's it's just a very it's very very i find tricky to sort of guess at what um how the business is going to perform uh, over over the next few years even though i'm i'm, I'm almost convinced it'll probably be pretty decent so I, you know I, I i don't hold shares but i it would be my choice if i was going to go to the banks mm-hmm. what do you think i completely agree um uh, so Macquarie is actually a buy recommendation for us at Motley Fool Share Advisor. Um, okay. For the longest time, I had ignored them because of that black box nature. And I have to say, um, I still believe it's a black box to some degree. And you've got to, you know, this is one of those jockey plays where you've just got to, to some degree take it on faith. And as a stock picker, as an investment advisor, it's really hard to say to someone, buy this because I kind of think, hope maybe it might work out. You know, most thesis you like to be able to say, look, this is specifically why more people will buy widgets from this company and the widget company will put the prices up and the margins are going up. So therefore, you know, you, you want to be able to look in the future and somehow, if not if not predict, at least have some sense of what the future might look like. In this case, Macquarie is literally a bunch of smart people who are trying to make money for themselves and in the process making money for you. And that's literally the entire business model, right? It's like get really smart people, give them some money and hope that money makes money. And, and frankly... There's worse business models out there, right? Because you know, <laughs> the um, I'm pretty sure it was Paul Keating saying the race of life always backs self-interest. At least you know it's trying. I think that's an old <laughs> Jack Lang it. line, and I love it. It is just one of those yeah. great lines where it just rings true, right? And so nails it. As long as yeah. Macquarie get the incentives right, now there is some risk they could blow Macquarie up. Babcock and Brown, remember those guys? Blew themselves they up. Do. Was it the GFC Ram? I think. Um, Yes, it, it was. It was in the GFC. Well, Macquarie dropped from eighty to twenty bucks during the, did, yeah. the GFC too. Yeah. So you know, it's not immune to those cycles either. It just you know, it survived <laughs> and then and then and then went seven x in the subsequent years. Yeah. So you know, it's it's possible playing with other people's money. You could blow things up because you take too much risk. Because if the incentives are too lopsided, where heads I win, tails I don't lose anything. Which you know, if you, if you gave me a million dollars, said look, if you double it, you can have half. If you lose it all, don't worry about it. I'm like, so hang on, why would I try and get 20% gain if I get nothing? I'm going to try and double it because I want, I want my share of that, right? So there is some incentive yep. risk there where the incentives are misaligned to some degree because the upside risk is clear, the downside risk is not shared. Um, but where we end up recommending it was just simply, it looked reasonably attractive on a book value basis and we had mm-hmm. a degree of confidence that just backing self-interest and smart people and business model and management who know what they're doing and can manage people well in that sort of scenario... Uh, can make money and we kind of ended up toppling over into yeah okay we think it's a buy um, it's it's it, I won't say it's low conviction it's just one of those ones where I just want our listeners and, and in our case our members just to know that that's the approach we're taking right it's one of those we think mm-hmm. on balance the the combination of realities if you like uh, that I've just explained makes it likely that a business with those characteristics would make money for its shareholders and so that's the basis of a recommendation it's weaker than the the specifically here's what I think will happen, but it's no weaker in the sense that incentives are stupidly powerful, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd, mm. I'd, you know, back self-interest as, as Keating said. And I think yep. that's, uh, that's an important one. That makes a whole lot of sense to me at least. Yep. Makes sense I to agree you? With that. Yep, 
Mate, let's finish off with a single question from John. Really simple one. John says, hi, Scott. I'll keep it short and sweet. Perhaps a topic of discussion in your Mailbag Edition podcast. It certainly is, John. Thank you. I would love to hear your thought, John says. Opinion and advice. All three. Around robo-advisors, such as Stockspot, when it comes to starting a portfolio and investing for children. Many thanks, John. Now, they're kind of two questions. I think portfolio investing for kids could be two questions. We have got some extra mm-hmm. feedback, by the way, on, on uh, insurance bonds. Uh, we'll hopefully make that the last one next week. We'll cover some res- uh, communication we got, some correspondence from one listener and then probably pull a line under insurance bonds. We'll leave that out of the conversation for now, Andrew, though. Robo-advisors, when investing for kids and or starting a portfolio, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, you'd probably expect me to sort of say I hate them, but I don't. Um, I think... You're a lover, not a fighter. Offend- I don't expect you to hate anything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna offend like a whole um, uh, cast of, of people out there when it comes to um, <laughs> financial planners. But uh, which, which, by the way, I think as as a as a profession, there are some really really awesome people there who do some real good, genuine good for the world. But they, anyone in that space probably also admit that there's a lot of bad actors as well. And mm. I'd also, I'd also sort of say that there are the big ideas in investing the things that we tend to talk about and will yep. go on and on and on about is probably a better way to say it they're not that hard <laughs> it's not so i don't i don't want to i don't want to suggest that you know it's well, it's not rocket surgery right like you you a lot of these robo advisors will do things like this hey pick a couple of broad based etfs and mm. uh, save up money and will regularly contribute to them and we're going to do that for the next 20 or 30 years and yeah okay they'll take a bit of a clip along the way as they should they're providing a service but as a robot they can probably afford economically at least theoretically at least to take a smaller clip so if it's yeah. if it's encouraging you to do generally the right thing and it, again it doesn't have to be complicated but my advice generally for friends and family who aren't into this stuff is hey dude just buy, no, buy two or three broad based ETFs and just do that every time you save up a bit of money that's it just keep yeah. doing that that's yeah. it that's you could say that on a post-it note and that's a really <laughs> really really smart investment strategy yeah so yeah. if a robo advisor is going to get you onto their platform and they're just going to make that an automatic routine for you i think it's really good where mm. you need to be cautious of course is to understand the fee structure that's there and not to try and get too cute and clever with with some of the the strategies that that, that they might suggest i, I think when mm-hmm. you do take that approach big broad and general is the way to go you don't want to get too cute with hyper specific niche kind of etfs that might be actually Actively managed and the rest of it so you know as always there's context there's nuance but uh, in general I, I like them i think Stockspot do a pretty good job um i've met the founder a few times he's a really nice guy and he seems to be genuinely out there sort of fighting for the for the welfare um yep. of of private investors so yeah i'm, I'm for it man that's what i was going to say i you know what in in the world of financial advice and financial products these guys are on the side of the angels with us now I, i'm going to assume we're on the side of the angels right we make some money at the Motley Fool, Strawman hopefully makes some money. I'm not going to ask you about your financials because it's not none of my business. Um, the you know these guys make some money as well, so you know no one, well, very few are in the financial industry for for you know only goodwill. But there are good guys and there are bad guys. There are people who genuinely try to make their money by doing the right thing, and there are people who try to make their money by making their money and finding marks they can make some money off. Right. So uh, I think promises. fair to say the Motley Fool and Strawman are on the side of the angels with. These kind of robo advisors who genuinely want to help people do it better, do it well, and do it authentically. And I think you're right. Chris Brickish from Stockspot's a good guy. Um, there's uh, Six Park, are good guys. I was speaking to Pat, oh, from, yeah. Pat Garrett from Six Park before. He's a great guy. Um, he is. You know, there there are some there are some really good people out there. And I think 
you know what? I, I've said this about Challenger annuities, right? Like, I don't like annuities as a product because I don't think I think they take some fees and don't sort of give you the best possible return. On the flip side, if you're the sort of person who needs an annuity just to make you keep leave your portfolio alone, sleep at night, I know you're getting income. I'm not going to criticize anyone for doing it. Like, do I think it's perfect? No. Do I think it's good if it's some, if you're someone who needs it? Yeah, it's. It, I'd rather it be there than not. And I think to my mind, robo-advisors are kind of similar. I have my issues. Pat and I have had a chat on, on Twitter and off Twitter about this, for example. I think the whole rebalance academic asset allocation rebalancing thing is kind of overdone, not by Six Park, just by academics in general. And I think following that approach is more active than you need to be. Um, but they do it because I think it's right. And it actually is going to help some of their customers have less volatility. Because if you're going to have more cash sometimes, less cash other times, uh, a bit like superannuation, right? The old balanced super. Where you've got a bit of property, a bit of cash. Is it perfect? No. Would I do it? No. Is it fine for most people if it just means they can invest regularly, ongoing, and have a lot of money when they retire? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, is it perfect? Mm. No. Is it better than most other things? Yes. And so yeah. for my mind, I wouldn't invest my portfolio the way robo-advisors invest their clients' money. So I kind of can't say, yes, you should absolutely, I think it's great, I think you should do it. Because I don't. I, I can't in good faith say, I think that's the way you should invest or I invest or Andrew invests. Mm. We do it differently, um, but we're not you. And and if you choose a robo-advisor, I think it's perfectly great. And I think if you're someone who looks at it and goes, you know what, those features and benefits for the fees paid, as you say, Andrew, are what I want, are what's right for me, are going to help me build my financial wealth and it's the best thing I can think of for me to do it, then knock yourself out. Like seriously, mm. go and do it. I, I'm not going to criticize a single person for using a robo-advisor and doing exactly that. Um, yeah. As with ETFs, we talked about the other day, just be careful, not all robo-advisors are the same. You can call yourself a robo-advisor and be anything, which is basically just automatic rebalancing is effectively what robo-advice kind of ends up, ends up being mm. called, some sort of model. And that's not bad, except that if I want to charge you, you know, three and a half percent to be a robo-advisor and I'm buying double leveraged NASDAQ shorts in my robo-advice options, you're probably not getting great robo-advice. So yeah. just be, unfortunately in the, in the finance game, once a term catches on, everyone uses it. ETFs used to be broad-based, low-cost vanilla index funds and now they are anything anyone wants to list on an index and so you can't, or on an exchange, sorry. So you can't say an ETF is good or an ETF is bad anymore because it depends on what you got. I would just say the same with these robo-advisors. Go with someone credible, go with someone you know and if it works for you, then go for it. Keep, but to Andrew's point, keep adding money every single month or every single mm. quarter whenever you can let it build your wealth for you. You know what? If you if you just do it, like just do it and leave it alone, don't mess with it, you'll do better than most people who either try and invest too late or take too much risk or screw around because they can't keep themselves away from the buy and sell buttons on their brokerage. So for some people, robo-advisors as imperfect as I might think they are, are probably better than people who are doing what I say they should, but doing it badly, <laughs> not really honestly. Yeah. So know you, yeah. know, you, know thyself is the, who said that, Ram? You're, you're the philosopher of the crew. Who said know thyself? Know thyself. I don't know. I think that, that one's one, like, one of the first ones, right? Like, uh, I don't know, maybe Confucius or someone, but it was, it, it's such a great saying. Um, <laughs> Let, let's let's, yeah, let's I, go with it. I, look, I, 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 I'd go with all of that. I think when you're on your deathbed um, and you're looking back at your life, um, you may have some really big regrets and like, oh man, why did I put all my money into that you mm -hmm. know, emu farm? Or why did I, you know, why did I decide that Dogecoin was a great investment or something? Like they're genuine mm -hmm. regrets you're likely to have. 
One of the regrets you're going to have is, oh, wow, I got 7.5% compound over 20 years when if I was a bit smarter and worked a bit harder, I could have got 11.3%. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, yes, that is that is uh, a difference. And yes, mm-hmm. uh, over time, that actual small percentage difference makes a lot. But again, it, in, the, in the world of regrets, it's not bad. And to your point, it's better than a lot of the alternatives. So mm-hmm. anything that's yeah. sort of helping you move forward in real terms, that's a win. And then it's then it's just shades of gray after that. There you go. Know thyself, Andrew, is a Greek aphorism. One of the Delphic maxims, which is inscribed at the Temple of Apollo. I, I was going to realize that. that. No, I, I do love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds good, right? The Greeks liked it. Confuci- Greeks Confucius it was, good was a good guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, wrong time, wrong continent, wrong language. But other than that, mate, absolutely. Says <laughs> me who looked it up. I, I liked it, mate. That was a that was a good starting point. Fools, we have gone well and truly over time. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. We hope you have uh, got some answers, some questions you might have, or maybe answers to questions you didn't know you have. We hope at least you're a slightly, uh, I won't say smarter investor, but a slightly more informed investor when, than you were when we started this conversation. Hope maybe a slightly more sleepy investor after listening to us talk for an hour, mate. <laughs> Dude, come on. You're, not, you're supposed to be building us up here, not bringing us down. Oh, sorry, the, sorry. Listeners can, listeners can make their own criticisms, mate. Your job is to make us sound good, all right? Let's get, okay. this, let's get this right. Uh, Phil, we, we, uh, if, you, if you do want to hear more from us, make sure you do subscribe to the Motley Fool Money podcast. Uh, do do it through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app, or the Listener app, if you haven't given that a go yet. Always rolling out new features, part of the Southern Cross Osterio team that this podcast is produced by, for full disclosure, uh, but well worth a listen, I reckon. Please give us a review. Leave us some stars. Leave us a rating and awesome comments if you want. Um, as we've said before, your listenership, your downloads, your reviews do help us rise to the top of a very congested podcast pile. And as I said before, if you're listening and you've listened for a while, you hopefully think we're doing something roughly right. And if that's true, hopefully other people will benefit from it as well. So help us help you, help us help you help them. And I'm not going to keep going because that's just get confusing really, really quickly. Um, do go to strawman.com, find out more from Andrew, or you can jump onto Twitter and get him either at sage underscore Simeon or strawman invest. If you want to jump on Twitter and look for me, I'm at TMF Scott P. It's also the same on Instagram. And the Motley Fool's Instagram and Twitter handles together are both at the Motley Fool AU. Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia, or Scott Phillips Money. You can find all the good stuff we have for you there. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. We hope uh, you've had a uh, commemorative and respectful Anzac Day morning. We hope the afternoon treats you well as well. In the meantime, we'll see you next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Thanks for listening. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.